0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh?
0: your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk delivering news, interviews, analysis and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine podcast. I'm your host Josh Nelson, and it's December 29, 2020 as we record this episode and it's probably our last podcast of the calendar year, ending our 7th season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox, which is crazy to think about. And we'll be starting our eighth season podcasting about the White Sox whenever they make another move. Hopefully there is another move. But for sure, sometime in late January, we'll have another episode for you as we start preparing for spring training and the beginning of the next season for the Chicago White Sox, a very critical and important 2021 campaign. So this episode is our chance to say thank you for being terrific supporters, listeners, and we wish you a happy new year, hoping that 2021 is a lot better than 2020. However, it just so happens there has been significant movement in baseball as San Diego Padres general manager, AJ Preller, turned up the hot stove to 11, trading for both Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish. It's amazing that any team got one of these two pitchers, but the Padres got both. For the White Sox, it's obvious they weren't serious suitors for either Snell or Darvish, but there is a lesson to be learned about the Padres making these trades. It highlights what the White Sox don't have in their farm system that it appears other teams want or covet in these type of blockbuster moves. Will that cause problems with the White Sox competitive window? We'll pull up a chair, grab yourself a drink, and let's have a theoretical discussion about building baseball teams. And joining me for this discussion is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Before we talk baseball, you have breaking news. You got a dog. Yes,
2: yes. We do. Chief. He's a rescue, uh, took him into the vet, and the estimate is uh, roughly 8 to 10 weeks old. Uh, Basically spends a third of his time biting, a third of his time sleeping, and then uh, kind of a third of the time in between those states, like coming in, (laughs) it's coming into one and leaving the other. But uh, so far, uh, it's my first foray into dog ownership, and uh, I can see the upside. I'll put it that way. (laughs) It's uh, (laughs) a... I hope this stage doesn't last forever. Um, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that he prefers... Uh, I'm his second favorite person in the house, so I don't get bit nearly as often as my wife, but uh, uh, I, I try to attract him to bite me, and he won't. <laughs> At least until she's not around. Then uh, he settles for me. But uh, so far, pretty good. You know, I think all things considered, uh, from what I've heard of puppy horror stories, what I've heard from uh, uh, various... Uh, pet owners on Socks Machine on Twitter, helping me out, giving me some advice that I'm uh, trying out. Some of it's working, some of it's not, but I appreciate it. anything else uh, that you think might work for a uh, Corgi slash Australian Shepherd mix. That's a guess. Uh, based on his uh, history, it's like it's a, uh, there's no real uh, firm way to tell right now. Um,
0: I'd be happily take more advice. So Chief's going to be like the size of our, my dog, Frank, where he's about 28 pounds is that what they're thinking or is Uh, the australian shepherd gonna really grow in he's basically
2: like when i've seen corgi mixes it always looks like corgis in disguise as other dogs like just (laughs) different colors different uh maybe eyes or whatever but the shape is the same in this case he's got the corgi look like the coat and the face but the legs are not stumpy Hmm. so he might be like kind of like a tall corgi. Like you ever see like those seaside houses that are on stilts <laughs> yeah. to let the tide go underneath? I think that's kind of what we're looking at here based on right now, a corgi on stilts. But, uh, it, you know, we'll find out and kind of thing we're, right now, you know, took him in, he's healthy. So he passed the first test and that was really all we were worried about is just some kind of, you know, either horror story or just some kind of evidence of, um, you know, why he was abandoned. And so far, can't figure it out. Just He's just the normal puppy.
0: Well, that's great. It's great that you guys brought Chief in. You got yourself a baseball watching buddy now. So, welcome Chief to the Sox Machine internship team, and uh, welcome to the White Sox fanhood. Very exciting. I'm happy for you guys.
2: Yeah, we'll have to uh, take them to a uh, Bark at the Park night. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I can't... Hopefully, they have those again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Knock like they were wood. used to not shooting off fireworks this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, so maybe just uh, it was basically
0: like every night was bark in the Park. Right. That's true. So that's exciting. You have a dog. And if you're a San Diego Padres fan, you're probably just as excited as Jim is getting a dog with the trades that they have made in a 24-hour span, acquiring starting pitchers Blake Snell and you Darvish. And Jim, like I mentioned as far as the intro, it's remarkable for any team to get a a pitcher like Blake Snell or you Darvish alone in a trade. We saw the work that both the Boston Red Sox and uh, as far as the Chicago Cubs had to do to for the Red Sox to acquire Chris Sale and the Cubs to acquire Jose Quintana. We just saw the Padres this week acquire both of them, which is absolutely insane to me uh, that they were able to do it. And it really speaks volumes to their, the depth of their farm system to be able to pull off, trade a lot of their prospects to acquire both Snell and Darvish. So what are your impressions of the Padres making these two blockbuster deals? Well, it's, it's, uh,
2: you know, envy is one of the reactions. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, there is some fatigue among some White Sox fans, you know, hearing about the Padres because of the Manny Machado thing, of the Fernando uh, Tatis Jr. trade, um, just hearing a lot about the Padres. And they haven't yet distanced themselves from the White Sox enough to where, you know, maybe some fans think the Padres haven't earned it. Um, you know, they haven't won a pennant. You know, they've been exciting. They've you know garnered a lot of headlines. They've, uh, you know, a lot of uh, viral video clips, especially with Tatis and Machado and such, but they haven't quite, um, you know, won anything. They have the same number of like flags flying or pennants flying, whatever you want to call it, uh, around the stadium as, as the White Sox in this rebuild. So I understand that, but, you know, I, I think here is where, you know, you're seeing, well, first of all, you're seeing like Machado signing. And, and that was, you know, one move uh, that just showed the way that these teams are different. And, you know, the potential killer instinct that Padres ownership has that the White Sox ownership doesn't. You know, the willing to, you know, say, okay, 10 years, 300, let's do it. And we'll deal with the fallout, you know, in 2026 or whatever. Uh, So there's that. And then you have uh, these two trades, which is, you know, partially, I think that killer instinct. And, um, you know, another thing too, is that the Padres are dealing with the Dodgers. And so I think that inspires teams to develop, um, either the instinct to act aggressively as the team that's setting the pace or, um, you know, somehow innovate or be transactional otherwise to kind of just churn flip players until you hit on something that seems like a sustainable threat to that top dog. I think the Central is weak enough to where they just don't feel like anybody's setting the pace that far ahead. Like the Indians maybe are waning, the Twins are, you know, not quite... Acting like that front runner, you know, that's really trying to you know make a run at Yankees echelon of American League dominance. So you know without that you know that that pace setter that's forcing a team to get creative or get aggressive, the White Sox are just kind of lagging back. And uh, you know as I wrote about too on Sox Machine with the last couple of posts, is that the uh, you know Padres made some moves that are maybe indicative of having so many good prospects that eventually you know it doesn't make sense to have that money because you have a forty man roster. And you can lose players for nothing, so you may as well turn some of them into currency that can get players uh, who just present a whole lot of upside over uh, players who are on the 25-man roster. And the rotation was a weak link last year, and it's no longer a weak link, I think you can say.
0: I'm glad you men- you, you brought up the point regarding the fact that the Padres in the same division as the Dodgers, and obviously the White Sox in this offseason have to compete against the Minnesota Twins as far as ramping up that team. And, and I, this is something that I mentioned as far as on Twitter, that San Diego has to push a lot of chips into the pot because they have to build a team to go toe-to-toe against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it really requires them, because of the amount of starting pitching injuries that they have suffered to make acquisitions like acquiring Blake Snell and you Darvish to give them a chance to go toe-to-toe against the Los Angeles Dodgers. It requires that kind of effort. Meanwhile, in the American League Central, obviously that's not the case, right? Everybody ever since, uh, I, for- I forget the old Detroit Tigers owner that passed away. Mike Gillich. Mike Gillich. Since Mike Gillich has passed away, Even his family has zero interest in spending the type of money that he did trying to bring back a world series uh, trophy to the city of Detroit. Nobody in this American league central, I think has any interest Jim on spending $150 million. So when you're in this environment, uh, I, I think that there isn't a pressing need for the white Sox to go out and make the same type of moves. Now, That's the reality of how these teams operate in the American League Central and the reality that the Padres live in the National League West right now having to deal with the defending world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Theoretically, it should not matter what teams are in your division when building your team. If the true aspiration is to win a World Series, regardless of the teams in your division, you should build the best team possible. I 100% believe that I'm just trying to also be grounded in reality on what the white Sox are going to do Jim. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that you mentioned the envy part that yes, as a white Sox fan, uh, I think it's perfectly normal to feel envy that another team in the league was able to make two blockbuster moves when we were hoping that the white Sox would make a similar move this off season. maybe You consider the listener, Lance Lynn, to be on the same level as Snell and Darvish. It's just that the White Sox only have Lynn right now for this upcoming season, while the Padres get to enjoy Snell and Darvish for the next three years. So there's a little bit more of a long-term commitment uh, on the Padres' side. So I throw you this hypothetical, Jim. Let's say the roles were reversed. The White Sox were in the same division as Los Angeles Dodgers or the Minnesota Twins become that next juggernaut that are spending $190 million in player payroll, do you think that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams could convince Jerry Reinsdorf to make moves like the Padres have in order to keep pace with a division rival?
2: No, um, just because of the... I I think the pandemic situation and and the way I I characterized it on Sox machine was saying that, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf is not somebody who spends money to make money. Uh, like when the white Sox won the world series in 2005, he spent more on next year's team. And, you know, then he spent, you know, he put the necessary or his front office, put the necessary moves to regroup in 2008. And they made some runs in, in, in 2011, which was disastrous. Uh, and, uh, 2012 with with Ventura was a step back, but just like they've, they've made some efforts here and there. But when it comes to like trying to generate interest, trying to shove the team next level, they really don't do that with financial might. If they do, it's a one winter proposition, like when they won the winter in 2015 with uh, Samarja and Robertson and Melky and LaRoche, etc. That was like a, you know, it was encouraging. It was just like, okay, that seems like a year early, but... None of these contracts are that oppressive. You know, none of these commitments are overly long. If someone don't work out, they can be phased out like within two years. You know, they can correct, they can see what didn't work, make one more push the following year that one more push never happened. Like the the, the reward wasn't there, so the uh, pocketbooks tightened up and you know, Rickon had to trade and he had to kind of uh, cut corners and hope for some rebounds and they never materialized. and And that year was a disaster. So, uh, yeah, the way I put it was that, you know, Rick Hahn or, or Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't spend money to make money, and Rick Hahn isn't good at making Jerry Reinsdorf money. So they're kind of torn into this, uh, or kind of uh, ground to the standstill or stalemate to where you get this, um, you know, half measures, uh, you have a front office that doesn't really do anything, you know, they had the rebuild, and that was a sea change, but since then they haven't really... Um, yeah, they had the Grondahl and Keichel signings. Those were good, but they could have also fit into a lot of previous offseasons. Uh, this winter, with big signings, like if they added two more Grondahl slash Keichel contracts, that would have been something different. That would have been like, oh, okay, this is new payroll ground. This is new um, supplementing. Uh, yeah, especially they got like a George Springer type or or what have you. You could say like, oh, this is probably the most complete roster they've ever had, or at least the deepest, you know, know, with cost control. um, Seems like you don't see a lot of leaks in this roster the way that we've seen flaws that uh, blew up on them in previous years. But right now, with Adam Eaton coming back and trying to be adequate, which is what they've done before, just trying to hope for adequacy, for, uh, you know, glaring holes and trying to take like a... uh, you know, sub-replacement level, drag it up to slightly above and and call it, like, huge progress. I don't think it works that way. It just gets in this ground where just they, um, I think they bring out the worst in each other. And that's where I think the White Sox are now. I think they're talented enough uh, in comparison to previous years to where that's not going to hurt them the way it did hurt them in 2016. But it's still going to hamper them, I think, if they don't get the kind of, uh, you know, I would say sustained performances from their young players. And also, uh, you know, if they don't get decent injury luck and also just like a little bit of help from their acquisitions, you know, Lynn and Eaton, you know, they, they need them to click.
0: Yeah. They definitely need Lance Lynn to click. You y- gave us yes. six years of control of Dane Dunning for one season of Lance Lynn. You need that top five AL Cy Young, Lance Lynn, uh, to help out your starting rotation in 2021. Uh, as far as a payroll update, uh the White Sox obviously didn't bring back Edwin Carnacion and Gio Gonzalez. They haven't really replaced all of that payroll yet because Lynn again is only gonna make about eight million uh for the two thousand twenty-one season, and Adamine signed for seven and a half million. Uh so the White Sox have about four million that they have to spend to <laughs> replace the payroll uh that they uh kind of Shed by letting Gio Gonzalez and Edwin Carnacion go. So, for well, those, then you have six million for c too. So, oh, uh, yeah. So, you had about 10 million already uh, in the hole. So, we'll talk about as far as some free agent targets that we think the White Sox could target. Um, but I want to talk about as far as uh, around Major League Baseball, though, because I know that people, especially White Sox fans, only want to focus on what's impacting as far as the White Sox. I think that's really short-sighted, though. Because uh, if you do believe the White Sox are a World Series contender, you need to be aware then of what every team is doing because there could be a lot of teams that are going to be standing in the White Sox way of trying to win a World Championship in 2021. So let's start with the San Diego Padres impact of acquiring Blake Snell and you Darvish. And there are some that are wondering, by acquiring both Snell and Darvish, Jim, that the injuries to their pitchers... Uh, are more serious than they are letting on. Uh, we already know that Mike Clevenger is out for the 2021 season. He'll come back in 2022 with Tommy John. There is D Nelson LeMet who pitched very well for them in the 2020 season. Uh, but he also came up with arm issues. Uh, and there's some questions of whether or not D Nelson LeMet is going to be ready to pitch a, a full 2021 season. They have a lot of young pitchers as well. Adrian Moorjohn can be impressive. We've been hearing a lot about Mackenzie Gore ever since that he was a high schooler and the Padres selected him in the first round. And of course, Chris Paddock has flashed at times as well. It kind of sounds like I'm talking about the White Sox starting rotation in a lot of ways, Jim. You got some proven starters now, and then you got some young, exciting starters, but there are still plenty of question marks and they have yet to prove that they can hold their own for an entire season but with the Padres making this move to enhance their starting rotation how do you like their chances now of at least trying to keep pace with the Los Angeles Dodgers in the National League West
2: I, yeah, know, it's funny when you, when you mentioned the Dodgers being world champions and I thought, well, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a hangover, not necessarily because they accomplished something, but because of the workload, especially, you know, with Dodgers going so deep into the postseason year after year after year, that can sometimes add up and a an ascendant team like the Padres can come in and maybe catch them. But then you realize that last year was only 60 games and a lot of you know, teams had injuries they were dealing with. And so it wasn't really a representative year for workloads and and just what rosters endured so you know the Dodgers I think are still in pretty good shape but you know the Padres I think are right where they need to be uh just having the kind of precocious talent they have just um you know talent that can explode um the and you know the pitching was the weak link as you mentioned and now that they have like basically seven or eight starters for you know, maybe not opening day, you know, maybe they have like six starters for five spots on opening day, but by time May, June, July rolls around, they could have, you know, eight possible candidates. Or, you know, if uh, if you have like Chris Paddock being disappointing again or getting plagued by home runs again, you know, perhaps they have some way to, uh, you know, rotate them out of the rotation. You know, put them in the bullpen, try somebody new, and just, you know, the depth is amazing, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Indians and the strength that the Indians have, and in just you know, being able to pull a random, random like Tristan McKenzie, you know, one year a Zach when one year a Shane Bieber, just coming out of nowhere and be like, all right, try this guy. Aaron Savali comes in and, and is fine. Uh, <laughs> just have these guys just show up and deliver starts and cross days off the calendars and sometimes you know steal wins when you don't think they're going to be able to uh, get wins against more name-brand pitchers. So that's, I think, where they're at and what's enviable. They have the explosive offensive talent. They have a pretty deep roster all the way around. And then they have the pitching that can theoretically, You know, maybe I wouldn't call them Indians good, but they're Indians deep. And, and if they can finish them the way that the Indians finish pitchers. Uh, even come close to that, then I think that's where the Dodgers can start to sweat a little bit, just because that's I think what they've lacked from the other NL West teams, just having that that nonstop depth that the Dodgers present, and, and the reason why they're such a problem for 162 games.
0: Let's move over to the teams that traded away their star pitchers and getting prospects back, and starting with Tampa Bay they have the best farm system in all of Major League Baseball. They are adding more prospects to their system. It's remarkable the type of depth that the Tampa Bay Rays have. Unlike the San Diego Padres, though, the Rays, I don't think, have any interest trading these guys away because I think Tampa Bay, Jim, is inching closer to what I would call the NCAA model. And they're just going to have roster churn every four years. Because once these players start getting closer to $10 million as far as an arbitration, or if they sign a team-friendly deal, it's time to move them. Because their ownership doesn't want to have a high payroll. Uh, And obviously there's a lot of Tampa Bay Rays fans that understand the quality of prospects in return for Blake Snell. But I think that they're just tired of watching some of their favorite players uh, get traded away. And they have done that. Evan Evan Lagoria, and now Blake Snell. There's rumors that the Rays want to move Kevin Kiermeyer uh, this offseason. And uh, it's just kind of hard to, you know, keep track of all the players that are still going to be on the Rays after making the World Series last year. Obviously they still have some star players or budding superstars, especially like starting pitcher Tyler Glasnow. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just feel like with the Rays making this move with Blake Snell, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that, yeah, every four to five years, just like NCAA programs, the Tampa Bays are going to have major roster churn.
2: I think that's partially a product of their you know, front office and, and, and ownership, and I think partially it's a product of just maybe being – in Tampa and giving up on Tampa is like a a baseball hotbed, and so if you don't care about selling jerseys and and really you know linking fans to players, um, you know, that's I think the tough thing is you know Blake Snell you know pitches his tail off in the postseason. You like the way he shows up. You like how much he cares. He has a disagreement with Kevin Cash about being pulled, and I, I think uh, you know it was a, it was a good baseball argument in terms of you know Kevin Cash. Being proactive and pulling snow, but you know, didn't work out. So it's it's one of those good baseball arguments, and that can that can last years and years. Kind of along the lines of uh, Mike Jerschley not sending Alex Gordon home in the twenty fourteen World Series. Yeah, and uh, you know it's a good baseball argument. Uh, you know whether he's pulled or not, but just you know the kind of uh, the kind of seeds that sows about, you know, oh, I wonder if that's the last game he'll ever pitch. You know, he's getting expensive. They tend to trade these guys. Just, you know, I think that's what gets annoying. And if you don't buy, like, a Kevin Cash jersey or uh, just a jersey that says arbitrage or something like that, I don't know, uh, you know, who you invest your time and attention to. I mean, they have a lot of fun players there, but you don't, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, like, I imagine, like, if the Rays signed the Luis Robert deal or they signed the Elo Jimenez deal, like, yeah, We think, it, watching it, seeing like, oh, Luis Robert's going to be uh, White Sox forever. Or he's going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be in tow. This is going to be a, a core. They're not going to break up. I think if you're a race fan, you think like, well, Robert's here until 2023. Know, yeah, like, we got four years. Like, right. that's, I think, uh, where it, it doesn't get fun. Like, Kevin Kiermaier, who's a fan favorite. And, you know, uh, he's got some flaws as a player, but also a highlight reel. You know, very valuable. We, we've seen what he does for the team. Just... You know, he's his his contract is treated as a nuisance, and I think that's something that's unhealthy. Um, and and it's the reason why I envy the Rays, and I don't <laughs> like it's, I I envy their success. I envy you know the kind of stakes uh, that they play with uh, year after year, but I don't envy um, just the you know the, the the lack of connection to it. It's kind of like think tank baseball a little bit, and maybe if they had a new stadium in Tampa and they felt better about what they could draw on the number of fans within their, a certain number of miles radius, you know, to be able to draw on a reliable basis, maybe they would feel more, uh, a bigger priority in keeping players and faces
0: and draws. But if you don't worry about draws, I guess this is what you get. And again, going back to the NCAA model, you know, for school, for rooting for your college sports team, whatever your favorite college sports team is, It is the school you are rooting for because there's always new faces. And if you love college basketball, you may like this one player, but they could be one and done and going to the NBA next year. It's really hard to invest in particular players when they're not going to be sticking around. So if you're going to be a diehard college sports fan, you just have to be a diehard to that school, not in particular of any of the players uh, because they're going to be gone soon. And that's kind of, as you mentioned, Jim, that's kind of how it's like, I, I have to imagine what it's like rooting for the Tampa Bay Rays. Like in, in 2025, where's Wander Franco going to be traded to? That's like going through my mind right now. He hasn't even joined the Rays yet for his first regular season action. But I already i am looking ahead four seasons from now and wondering where he's going to be traded to because he's just going to be too expensive for the Rays to hold on to as he hits his second year of arbitration. Yeah. It sucks. I, I feel bad for Rays fans. I, I think the one, yeah, I guess the one saving grace is
2: that they've actually been good. And you talk about the college model and you think, well, they keep going to bowl games. They think going to good bowl games. Yeah. New Year's Day bowl games are the equivalent of, uh, if they don't quite get to the world series, they're at least in the hunt every September. And, and yeah, if you're, into the the uniform and you're into just the team playing well regardless of who's there then i that probably works but you know, just based on their attendance based on on just how interested they are in serving fans it doesn't seem like that works at the pro level i think there needs to be some investment in players and i think we're seeing you know, around baseball and around other divisions like the the NL Central is one, just what happens when just everything kind of stalls out and uh, you're left with uh, teams, but the players are
0: just treated as, you know, you know, more or less, even productive players treated as nuisances. And let's talk about the National League Central, in particular, the Chicago Cubs. And Chicago Cubs fandom is obviously upset. I think there are a lot of Cubs fans hoping for a last dance situation with this Cubs core giving it one more shot in 2021 before really breaking the core up uh, because this is the last year Chris Bryant you manipulated his service time to get this extra year Uh, you need to make a decision on Javi Baez and what you're going to do with him if you want to keep him around long term and they decided that Now's the time to move Yu Darvish when he still has three years of control. Uh, and I think it's still a pretty relatively cheap, I mean, finishing runner-up in the National League Young and the quality pitcher Yu Darvish is, to have him on a contract for three years, $59 million, I think is actually below <laughs> market right now for the type of quality pitcher Yu Darvish is. Uh, So I, I think that really helps out as far as San Diego, as far as with their budget. But the question in Chicago, Jim, throughout the day and this week is, is a rebuild coming for the Chicago Cubs and this competitive window is shut? It kind of seems like it. And it seems like, you know, maybe they
2: should, but until another NL Central team steps up, and proves they're better it's hard to say no i mean like they got zach davies back in that trade and i think that kind of maybe to me indicates where they're thinking right now which is let's see how it goes let's see just if we're still projectable if we're still you know more or less front runners because nobody has taken it from us Maybe if Zach Davies comes in as maybe like 80% as good as you, Darvish, like game to game, you know, maybe not in terms of dominance, especially like uh, strikeout to walk rate, but just, you know, ERA, giving a chance to win, quality starts, that kind of thing. Like if Zach Davies is 80% as good, like maybe that's good enough and you're a little bit cheaper and, and, and uh, you know, you can save a little bit of money and you're a little bit more flexible and if the team you know, falls apart, then you can just, you know, sell it for parts basically. Uh, that seems to be how I think they're going. Um, but basically it's pretty, pretty, uh, scary right now. I think for Cubs fans, I know that, like, uh, you know, my, my friend Randy, who's like my, my go-to Cubs fan for just like, oh, let's just talk about our teams. You know, no, no, no trash talk, just, um, you know, honest assessments. Um, you know, try to take your Homer glasses off as much as possible. And he's, he's just, he's depressed. Like just, this is, you know, especially since the Rickets have money, just the money has gone to building up the neighborhood basically. And uh, you're you're not enjoying the team. Uh, you're enjoying the neighborhood, or at least you're, that's what you're expected to get. Like that's what they're investing in. That's where the money's kind of going right now. Is the debt they've accrued and you know building up Wrigleyville. And fans really have no stake in that. They're not rooting for like steakhouses to do well or you know, sports bars or hotels. Like, the, you know, uh, God, I hope they have an 80% vacancy rate this year. Like, or, not, or like book, <laughs> booking rate this year. Like just, you know, they're not rooting for that. They're, you know, they're rooting for wins. And so that's, I think, right. and, and I think that's a little bit instructive too for, uh, I guess, this is kind of a tangent. Maybe you don't want to get into the weeds, but just as the White Sox near the end of their lease with, guaranteed right field and and talk about next stadiums like it seems like you know real estate ventures and neighborhoods and, and entire areas are the way teams are going and just this is i think the downside of that is if teams get so wrapped up in investing and building up the real estate portfolio and you know they get caught in say like a bad situation like a pandemic or a downturn or what have you um you know that's all of a sudden baseball takes a back seat. and that seems really weird for a baseball owner to say.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of, I feel bad for Cubs fans because if a rebuild is upcoming, they are expected though to pay premium pricing to have the marquee channel because that's, that's an upgrade. That's a separate sports package. Unlike NBC sports, Chicago is for the Chicago white Sox, You have to pay extra to get the Cubs channel. And attending games at Wrigley requires when we're able to do that again. uh, That's also still going to be premium pricing. So you're paying premium dollar to consume Chicago Cubs baseball and they're tearing it down. Like, how is that fair for me as a consumer to pay pricing for what should be a contending team? But instead, they're aiming to win 75 to 80 games in 2021.
2: Yeah, I think probably a lot of people listening to this are not are not uh, sad about that. <laughs> just like, yeah, oh, no. you know, let them solve it. Uh, you know, Wrigley always has the benefit of tourists. So, you know, that's one reason why I think they probably can take a step back because they'll still sell a firm on tickets just because, you know, assuming tickets can be sold based on just how many people come to Chicago and want to go to Wrigley Field and cross it off or party or drink, whatever. You know, they, they can always draw well enough even when they're not that good. But it is weird how quickly it disappeared, and I think it's you know it's a cautionary tale in a way, um especially with chris bryant his last year team control, and you know one of the reasons I was really not all that invested in the White sox gaining you know the extra year team control at the, at the expense of um attainable goals sooner was that a lot of times it is disappointing, like it's a lot of times it's just uh, it, it leads to situations like. Uh, Chris Bryant where they want to trade him because he's too expensive or that seventh year doesn't really matter. It leads to a non-tender, you know, just, it's uh, just, it seems like it's never quite, or, or in a lot of cases extensions to take care of that, but just there's never, that seventh year never really seems to matter too much, or at least not at the rates that uh, teams prioritize it at.
0: All right. So we talked about the impact for the Padres, the Rays, and the Chicago Cubs. So let's try and attempt to answer the question a lot of White Sox fans have after these two trades by the San Diego Padres. And that question is, why couldn't the White Sox make a move to acquire either Blake Snell or Yu Darvish? And in the aftermath of these trades, Jim, what are the White Sox missing right now to be able to pull off a blockbuster like the Padres did,
2: well, they're missing, you know, a phrase Rick Hahn likes to say, which is like critical mass. Like they 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 have the critical mass of major league players to contend. Uh, they they've matriculated enough prospects. You know, they they've held on to Jose Abreu. They've uh, you know developed um, you know Lucas Giolito. They, they, they signed Grandall and Keikel so they have the critical mass of players to project over 500 to 85 87 wins and and hopefully add further with Lynn and be a postseason team. but when it comes to, like the whole sustainable part, keeping it going, that's where they're shorts like the um, the 2019 season I call it a bad year for the rebuild at the Meyer League level just because they did you know the the top of the prospect list, Survived and and kept advancing, and they looked like they're in good shape. But the second tier, third tier, nobody really developed outside of Jonathan Stever. Um, yeah, there were injuries. There were yeah, a lot of prospects stagnated at Birmingham. And those players just never developed into like, oh, he can contribute, or oh, he can be traded. Now we have a redundancy in a certain position, so we need to, uh, or or the White Sox can look to trade a guy for to address a weak spot. You know, need for need trade. That never really happened. Um, You know, they have a bunch of players that are on the roster, but like nobody's challenging Luis Robert at center field. Nobody's challenging Nick Madrigal at second base. Like who they have is who they have and and they're good players but they're also just they don't have depth in case somebody gets hurt in case somebody uh their game falls apart what what have you um they don't have that kind of uh interchangeability to make a change on the fly or trade for depth to uh, from depth to acquire another piece to solve a position that just isn't working out and the padres have that they they can deal from the middle of their top 10 or the back of their top 10 because they're prospects 11 through 15 are pretty good you know, pretty interesting and they feel like that you know maybe those guys are a year or two further away so they don't have to be on the 40-man roster as, as soon or uh you know maybe they think that uh the prospect books or other teams are undervaluing these guys so uh they feel like they're better off holding on to them but they have that kind of depth where they can deal up top they can deal deeper and uh other teams are interested the white Sox, you know they've had this uh they, they drafted college heavy for so long, they've, you know, because of the Luis Robert Pelley box and because of their general um, lack of connections with international free agents who are not Cuban, they, they don't really uh, have a whole lot of success or uh, ties to the top of the uh, Dominican markets, the Venezuelan markets, like the 16, 17 year olds that are highly touted and getting seven figures. They don't really sign those guys. Uh, two of the guys traded to the Cubs in the Dervish deal were seven-figure uh, international signings who are 16 and 17 years old. The White Sox don't really have those guys in the system. So they're lacking you know, the the interesting college talent that might be redundant, and they're not really connecting with the... Uh, prep talent or international talent to just have age on their side. And uh, so they're kind of cornered right now and needing a good minor league season to get out of it. But because the minors were canceled in 2020 and who knows exactly what's going to happen in 2021, it's hard to see exactly how they're going to develop their way out of it.
0: So what led to the White Sox having to rebuild? It sounds like what you were explaining, Jim, that the situation is not really different before 2016 well
2: it's different in that they have better young talent locked down for longer you know they have uh you know mancada jimenez robert they they have some really good players you know tim anderson's locked down pretty well um they have that kind of core that's a better core, a deeper core, a more numerous core uh, than their last time around, which is just basically four guys, two of them pitchers, and, and they lack the everyday um, talent to supplement like the back end of the rotation. Uh, so they're better off in that way. If Michael Kopeck can come back from two years off, I, I think he's maybe the fulcrum on the pitching side, uh, to use a phrase I love so very much. Uh, you know, he, he can provide some upside and some depth to make you feel better about the pitching side so i think they're in better shape than 2016 uh the other thing is that uh you know with uh cespedes coming uh into the mix uh it looks like for january 15th and maybe oscar coloss being a possibility uh either this january or next one uh and being in their early 20s but potentially high end we haven't seen him in a while because of uh of covid and and the whole uh defecting getting ready to sign process so don't exactly know what kind of shape they're in but theoretically when you're when you're talking about cubans in their early 20s there may be also players who can come in contribute at the high minor level extend the window provide some depth so that helps a little bit at this juncture based on what we know and and you know with some finger crossing as well but it would really help to have either you know the the, the high school pitchers they've drafted i think is a a novel turn that can maybe help with jared kelly uh, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson. You know, that's kind of uh, talent they've lacked in the prospect ranks. And they have some, uh, they have strength in numbers on that side. Position side, they've tried, the, uh, you know, the, the prep end uh, with, you know, like Lency Delgado, Bryce Bush, um, James Beard, um, you know, Cabrera Weaver. They, they've, they've accumulated those guys, but last year, losing that year, really hurt in trying to figure out what those guys can do. Same thing, you know, with the more intriguing international players like Benjamin Bailey, Jose Rodriguez, like they they, they really could have used last year to see if those flyers, those talented, but under, uh, you know, under uh prep guys could really just iron out some of their flaws and, and show why the White Sox drafted them. They really missed
0: that year. Yes. Well, it sounds... Okay, that's good. So for White Sox fans there shouldn't be a concern that the farm system goes back to where it was pre-2016. There's not a lot of confidence, though, if you speak to the people that come up with the top prospect list for each of the teams that, yeah, the White Sox might drop to the bottom five in Major League Baseball as far as farm quality after Kopech, Andrew Vaughn, and Nick Madrigal graduate. Uh, then there could be a significant drop-off in which the White Sox only have one top 100 prospect. Well, I guess two. Uh, We'd have to count Garrett Crochet being one of the top 100 prospects, and then hopefully Jared Kelly will also enter into the top 100 prospect list. Um, But for the White Sox moving forward, Jim, and I'll start the Major League Baseball draft coverage once we get confirmation that all of the major college conferences are going to be playing a 2021 season and what their plans are. I think the White Sox, the lesson learned from these two trades and what the conversation should be having, especially with Mike Shirley, the director of amateur scouting and Rick Khan is that they have to, they have to go younger. They just do like, I, I understand that you want to keep all your options open in the first round, but really preference high school especially the first, second, and third round, where they need to start either building up for the next core, very much like they have built as far as this prep pitching depth that you mentioned with Dahlquist, Thompson, and Kelly. They need to do that on the position player side and start really adding some significant young talent, teenage talent, because if there's any question of whether or not they're going to be able to help you, well, it's pretty clear teams like the Rays and the Cubs when trading these marquee players, that's who they want. They don't want Jonathan Stever. They want Jared Kelly, Jim. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the White Sox need to add into their farm system.
2: Yeah, we'll see if that's a trend. Like sometimes I think it kind of ebbs and flows based on, you know, where teams are, how many teams are rebuilding, um, you know, how many teams need quicker infusion of cost-controlled talent versus can let it play out a little bit more. But yeah, right now that seems to be a little bit of a trend. Uh, It would help too, I think, um, you know, when you you talk about prospect lists and such is that, you know, the White Sox are going to have to be able to to show their work with being able to matriculate guys. Like they had a, a, you know, theoretical critical mass of outfielders in Birmingham and they all stalled. Like, you know, maybe Luis Robert busted through, but, or bursted through, I should say, burst through. But, uh, you know, Adolfo got hurt, uh, Rutherford stalled. Gonzalez stalled, um, Basabe stalled, you know, kind of got hurt, got, uh, let go. And, uh, you know, Marco Patti has gotten a lot of good press for his work with Cubans, but he is not, you know, the White Sox have not matriculated a non-Cuban through the system. Like they've all stalled at Birmingham or even haven't got to Birmingham. Like Adolfo is the first guy to really get a good crack at that level. So, you know, there were some encouraging earlier turns from Bailey and Rodriguez in, in, uh, the DSL and, and stateside ball at uh, the AZL level, but they just haven't got there. And, and same thing with, uh, you know, the prep players they've drafted. Like Bryce Bush was interesting. Then he got hurt and had a kind of a lost year with, um, you know, some bad luck injuries and, and illness. But, you know, he couldn't quite put it together. Same thing with like Weaver. The Delgado just haven't been able to capitalize on their talent yet. So the White Sox are going to have to show that they can actually develop these guys. You know, they, they have interesting draft reports. They look worth following, but just the White Sox themselves, you know, haven't, whether it's a, a Nick Hostetler slash Mike Shirley problem, Marco Patty problem, or whether it's a Chris Getz problem uh, or just the, who they have underneath him. That's I think what remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. And, and to also go back into my point though, that I think the White Sox should be looking heavily at prep. You lost the college season in 2020. So all these college players, You're going to be – you have tape on a few weeks of 2020 season. You have no tape on their summer season. So you're going to rely heavily on what they did their freshman year and their junior year. Like you don't have the typical track record drafting college players this upcoming year like you typically do. Meanwhile, the top high school prospects still had their showcases this past summer. And you're already hearing that Major League Baseball teams feel more comfortable and confident in their scouting of the high school players for this upcoming draft class than the college players. So I think this is the draft. Again, the draft's not until next summer. But for the White Sox, I think after these two trades and what it appears that teams are really wanting, even the Pittsburgh Pirates trading Josh Bell, they want the teenagers. So you need to add more teenagers to your farm system. And I think this upcoming draft class would be a nice change of pace to move away from taking the best college player available and instead taking the best prep player available, either to help you start building the new core to replace and think ahead on replacing some of the core that you have for the 2021 season, or this is a shiny prospect that other teams would covet if you need to make a blockbuster deal like the San Diego Padres did for Blake Snell and you Darvish. So while the Padres have grabbed the headlines, there is still a lot of work to be done this offseason, especially for the White Sox. So where do they stand in terms of projected team more and which targets, free agent targets, could help boost the White Sox 2021 projections? We'll share that list after a quick word
1: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Like we mentioned before the break, there's a lot of work to be done still for this offseason, and that includes the Chicago White Sox. And Jim, on Twitter this past week, I asked fans to go through a thought exercise ranking, based on their gut feel, the top five teams currently, both in the American League and the National League. Obviously, the San Diego Padres acquiring both Darvish and Snell greatly impacts where people rank them in the National League. I will ask you now... Based on your gut feeling, Jim, how would you rank the top five teams in the American League?
2: I would say I'm looking at Yankees are in um, number one. Yep. Just in terms of resources and diversity and talent and just the fact that they can keep spending and keep solving, put them number one. I would put Twins number two, Rays three, Astros four. Then White Sox Indians dogfight for five. I'd still put maybe the Indians slightly above the White Sox, just because the White Sox have to prove it.
0: Wow, I am more optimistic than you are. I have the White Sox second right now, based on my gut feeling, just because I think as far as the talent distribution, it's more even than the a lot of teams in the American League. I still have the Yankees number one. I have the White Sox two slightly ahead of the Minnesota Twins right now, mostly because of Lance Lynn. Uh, obviously we still have to wait to see on how the twins counter, uh, that acquisition by the White Sox. And then I have the Indians number four and I have the Rays number five and I have an asterisk next to both of these teams because as soon as Cleveland trades Francisco Lindor, obviously they're not going to be in the top five. And, uh, I'm curious on how the Rays makeup is going to be. Uh, And I think partly what will influence my top five before spring training starts is what will the Toronto Blue Jays do? Because it sounds like they are on uh, in the market for every significant free agent, but they have yet to make a move. But as of December 29th, that's how my top five is based on gut feeling. And that's how your top five is based on gut feeling. Moving over to the National League. uh, What are what are your top five teams? Well, I think the
2: Dodgers are okay. (laughs) yeah Padres are there (laughs) say Padres and Dodgers are running I think neck and neck I think the East is you know I think the Braves are the class of the East Mets are interesting but Mets aren't quite there yet Phillies like the East teams are kind of a I would say maybe I would go the top three teams I'd say the Braves Phillies and Mets may be rounding it
0: out yeah, I went Dodgers, Padres, Bra- Braves, Mets, and Nationals. I have the Nationals number five now.
2: Yeah, and, and Nationals would be the one I don't quite know yet how they're going to rebound from next year or from last year. You know, they had some health issues and such, and I'm curious to see how how much was just like deciding to just call it a wash because they had such, such fantastic success the year before and they'll just be intent on regrouping. But,
0: yeah, they were my six. Okay, So that's our gut feeling. So let's move over to Fangraphs because they have Team War projections on their depth charts page on Fangraphs.com. And based on projected Team War, as of December 29, 2020, your top five projected Team War leaders in the American League, number one, the Yankees, number two, the Astros with Carlos Correa and uh, Alex Bregman doing a lot of heavy lifting. Number three is the Minnesota Twins, a surprise. Number four, the Angels, Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout are doing a lot of heavy lifting. Number five is the White Sox. So the White Sox are a projected top five team in the American League currently built right now. In the National League, it is the Dodgers, it is the Padres, it's the Mets. It's the Braves and it's the Nationals. So we are thinking is right, Jim. It's the two teams in the National League West and whoever's the top three teams and how you feel about the National League East, the National League Central is not looking good. But again, I, I bring this up because for any baseball front office, they have their own projection systems. They buy data as well from other projection systems to help with their decision-making because all they can do right now is build the best team possible off of projections that they feel confident in heading into spring training that, yes, we can contend. And, you know, I I mentioned as far as these rankings, but the, the hard numbers here, the Yankees have a projected team war right now At 40.6 war. And that includes all positions in the pitching staff. The Astros are at 38.9 war. The Twins are at 38.2. The Angels are at 38. And the White Sox are at 37.7. And Cleveland is the sixth team at 37.3. It is incredibly close for projected team war in the American League, where if any of these six teams make a drastic move, like Cleveland letting Francisco Lindor go really hurts them, or if the White Sox, Angels, Twins, Astros, and Yankees make a significant addition, could really propel them as far as on the projections, heading into the 2021 season as far as how strong of a contender uh, we should seriously consider these ball clubs. And obviously, Jim, the work is not done for the White Sox. So I was looking at Fangraphs, and Fangraphs has right now the free agent pool. There's 115 war, according to Fangraphs, that teams can acquire in free agency, which that is a lot. And I was looking through as far as some of the free agents we've been talking about, like Liam Hendricks. You wrote a lot of words about whether it would be a good or bad idea if the White Sox spent a lot of money and committed four years to Liam Hendricks. Hendricks' projection war, Jim, is 1.6, which, you know, foreclosure, that's pretty typical for 50th percentile projection. Uh, Obviously, Hendricks has surpassed his 50th percentile uh, projection the last couple of seasons with Oakland, but that's his 50th percentile projection. If the White Sox were to sign Hendricks... It would push them up, of course, in the top five rankings in the American League. But based on bullpen projections, it would move them to having the best projected war bullpen, according to fan graphs, heading to 2021. And then other names that I was looking at as well, and you could say yay or nay, because I know that there's serious consideration for Liam Hendricks. Marcella Zuna, if the White Sox wanted to add another slugger, his projected WAR is three. Michael Brantley projected WAR is two, and James Paxton. If the White Sox wanted to add another starting pitcher, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of red flags with James Paxton, especially on the injury front, uh, but he's projected at two point six WAR. If the White Sox were to sign any of these one of these four players, it moves him up in that top five list as far as being. Uh, projected team war heading into the 2021 season and i I did put out a show poll uh on twitter which you could follow me on twitter at socks machine underscore josh asking our followers and listeners jim which position will the white Sox address next this offseason with a signing or trade is it reliever a starting pitcher designated hitter or other Right now, on December 29th, 2020, what do you think is the next move by the White Sox this offseason? I'm thinking starting pitcher. Really? Okay. Based on our poll right now, 56.7% said reliever. Why do you think it's starting pitcher?
2: I think, you know, based on, you know, if there is you know fire underneath the Hendricks smoke, just based on the way the market has really developed for top of the uh, top of the line players at their positions. If they're going to sign Hendricks or if Hendricks is going to try to command his price, I think it's going to drag on for a while. I think the the, the players who have moved are players signing for less money. And at this point, they basically just need like a fourth starter, like Jose Quintana. <laughs> just, just give him the jersey back already. Just <laughs> with the way they signed Adam Eaton, like just using that thought process the same way. Like he was good for us. Like he knows his way around. We don't have to give him directions. Um, you know, just put him back in the rotation. He's fine. Like that, that's they they settled for fine in right field with Adam Eaton. I think they they'll be happy to settle for fine at the back end of the rotation. I think that's somebody's. You know, somebody like Quintana or you know Matt Shoemaker, Taiwan Walker, like you know, that that level of starter. Uh, maybe not quite James Paxton because Paxton's just his availability is so uncertain. I think they need. I think Gio Gonzalez shows like the issue with like trying to get guys who are banged up and trying to count on them. Uh, I think they'll want a bit more reliability and Quintana wasn't around last year for a freak injury. Uh, not, not something like Paxton who's just chronically hurt. Um, seems like that kind of player is going to be available at the right price sooner than Hendricks might be.
0: Yeah. Quintana again projected at 1.6 war. So the same war value is, as- Liam Hendricks, obviously, though, Kitana would have to pitch 160 innings to get that projection, while Hendricks would have to pitch less than half uh, of that type of workload. Uh, Matt Shoemaker is at one and a half war projection, and Taiwan Walker is at 1.3 war. Not very high projected war totals for starting pitchers, uh, but looking to add as far as on a one-year deal, Uh, could be significant to help boost as far as the starting pitching depth for the White Sox. Because currently right now, Fangraph's looking at the White Sox starting rotation ranks the White Sox 13th in starting pitching strength uh, heading into the 2021 season. So if they could add more depth to that, that will definitely help out as far as their team more. But I am bringing this up because there are some concerns, maybe a fear, Jim, that the White Sox offseason is done. They will not be making any more significant moves after acquiring Lance Lynn and Adam Eaton. I don't buy that. I think that there's still a couple more moves the White Sox can make, but they are really close as far as looking at projections, especially at Team War right now, to being a top contender in the American League, and come full circle on this episode back as far as the divisions and trying to keep up with the Minnesota twins. It just so happens right now before the Yankees make any significant moves. And of course they could bring back DJ LeMahieu and maybe they sign Trevor Bauer and boom, the Yankees are right there with the Dodgers and Padres for being one of the most, uh, str- one of the strongest teams in all of major league baseball. But as of right now at the end of December, As we move into January, and really this is pretty much the last month to be busy in the offseason before last-minute signings, before pitchers and catchers report around Valentine's Day, the White Sox still have an opportunity here to get stronger, but they're not that far away from being one of the top teams in the American League, but they can't stop now because if they do, I think other teams in this upcoming weeks and month, especially the Yankees and I'm expecting the twins and angels to make some significant moves and the blue Jays can enter as a new player. As far as competing in the American league, that that would be pretty disappointing. If that fear came true and the white Sox stopped making any moves this off season.
2: Yeah. I think the, the big, um, the biggest uncertain element is whether pitchers and catchers do report on Valentine's day or whether spring training gets delayed. You know, that's, I think uh, something that is creating the lack of urgency is maybe teams not knowing how many teams games are going to play, what kind of season they're preparing for, what kind of depth they need to acquire and accumulate and how much they, you know, how many postseason teams will be uh, there. And whether, you know, teams are looking to be one of the top five or one of the top seven, you know, it's unclear exactly how many, uh, teams are going to be in so with those things um hanging in the air right now uh, i think that's kind of kind of a driving factor i don't think the white Sox postseason is over i think they're more inclined to take the role that like the brewers took in previous years waiting until january waiting maybe until early february to see who's who can help at the positions of need for a good deal maybe like you know not good deal like in terms of like geo gonzalez good deal one-year contract but maybe like a three-year contract that's not as bad as or, or as expensive as uh we might have thought during a normal non-pandemic season uh, maybe three years is too much based on the way they've spent so far and, and and seeing that right field figure that 1.4 wins above replacement like that was their idea you know adam eaton settling for a mm-hmm. below average player just like you know that's yep. that's We've seen that not work before with like, well, you know, DH was so atrocious that being merely below average will be a big boon. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> you need to be above average to really feel an impact. Uh, it's disappointing, but I'm hoping that, uh, you know, whether it's the back half of the rotation or whether it's some deal that's just like too good to pass up for a bat, that they will be that brewer's type of um, figure, you know, not big spenders, but big enough spenders for a player
0: who slipped through the cracks, but fits really well. So the next time we have a podcast to announce a white Sox signing, do you want to give a guess on who that signing could be? Yeah, I think it'll be Jose Quintana. So that next podcast episode will be welcome back, Hugh. I'll be ready. (laughs) I think it's going to be Hendricks. My gut says Hendricks. There's a lot of smoke. It's that would be very white Sox to spend four years, 64 million on a closer and not a right fielder. Uh, But yeah, I, I'll be fine with it. He would help. He makes the bullpen better. They would have the projected strongest bullpen entering the season uh, after signing Hendricks. And he does help make the team get better. I just don't think it's the, the best use of resources where they are currently at with their roster construction. But for, those white, for the fans that are concerned as far as where the White Sox lie right now in the American League, uh, if you're on more of the negative side, i bring this discussion topic up because they are right there, right now. They're a top five American League team as far as Team War strength. There's still work to be done, and based on how aggressive and who their targets are and what kind of deals they can strike on players, again, all Rick Hunt could do is build the best team best projected team possible. And then the cards will fall. However, the season plays and it's really up to Tony La Russa to try to get the most out of the guys that are going to be on his 26 or 28 man roster. Whenever major league baseball decides how many guys are going to be on a roster uh, to start the season. Um, But hopefully we do have some free agency or another trade or any type of off season activity by the Chicago white Sox soon. Cause that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. We hope that you have a wonderful and safe new year's Eve kicking 2020 to the curb. Thank you so much for listening. As this episode concludes Jim, our seventh season podcasting together about the Chicago white Sox, And we're going to be heading into our eighth season next month. That is insane.
2: Yeah. And, and hopefully it's actually a complete one. This was a really weird year uh, just and in, in. You know, so many obvious ways, but just like in terms of just you know, looking back at like just the previous coverage and uncertainty, like in April and May and when when the shutdown was happening and being unclear whether it's gonna be a season and how it's gonna happen, just uh something I hope to never have to go through again for so many <laughs> reasons. But uh yeah, thanks for all your work and and being flexible and, and and figuring it out with me, and also thanks to our listeners and readers for sticking with us. Coming back hanging with us while we're trying to figure out things to talk about. Uh, And hopefully, you know, with uh, 2021, our eighth season is just being finally the complete season, uh, complete contending season we all hope for and, and can all celebrate communally.
0: Yes. And we'll have some exciting news to share with you soon. As far as updates to our shows coming up for the eighth season, Uh, So we just have to get our ducks in a row and test some things out before officially making some transitions. Uh, But again, expect some exciting news to share with you guys uh, to the updates for this podcast and on our programming options for the upcoming 2021 season. But again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Machine, which our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and additional content, especially on the podcast front, where they get ad-free episodes of the show. Jim is still doing PO Sox, but he's doing mailbags. So you can sign up for as little as $2 a month in support. And you will get that additional content that's exclusive to only Patreon supporters. Really good content, really good questions this week in the P.O. Sox mailbag. So if you enjoy our work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine and you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the X-Fi Gateway so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
2: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.